The Evolve to Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Hello, I am Warren Munson, founder of Inspire and Evolve, and my guest on this week's edition of the Evolve to Succeed podcast is Rick Exley of Jimmy's Ice Coffee. I'm always fascinated about hearing what happens when founders, entrepreneurs, and business owners do let go, step aside, and appoint a managing director to run the business day-to-day for them. It goes without saying that this is not always a success, particularly when the founders are extremely dynamic, successful, and immensely passionate about their business, just like Susie and Jim, the founders of Jimmy's. Therefore, it was great recently to bump into Jim and Rick and hear the success that they had had and had taken place when Susie and Jim decided to play to their strengths and as a result appointed Rick as the managing director of Jimmy's. Consequently, I wanted Rick to share this story with you all. And I really believe there's some really fascinating insights during this podcast, including Rick says that recruiting a great team has a lot to do with patience. You can't just accept the first CV that comes through the door, you know. If sometimes it is the right person and you're incredibly lucky, but I've held off on recruiting for roles for almost a year to try and wait for that right person. He reveals the noble steps Jimmy's is taking to reduce its use of plastic. The big thing from us is, look, we want to do this and it's going to cost us money, but together we have sat down and said, no, it's the right thing to do. And talks about the positive way local retailers are supporting local brands. The way in which the food and beverage market is changing in the UK is really exciting. And I think everybody's now starting to open their eyes, whether you're a Tesco, whether you're a pub group, a convenience chain, and people are looking for new brands to fill their shelves as opposed to the standard you know, three or four out of every category. So let's get on with the show. Welcome, Rick. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, MD of Jimmy's Iced Coffee. That's right. Founded by Jim and Susie as the founders and siblings. Yes. So, um, for our listeners, uh, many of our listeners would have heard a lot about you know Jimmy's Iced Coffee and the Jim and Susie story, but for those that haven't yet, kind of heard that story. Do you want to just give us a quick run through the background to Jimmy's Ice Coffee and their story? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, well, I guess the journey began just over 10 years ago now. So this is actually our 10th year uh, since we began trading. And um, Jim um, was doing acting roles, uh, headlining events, uh, doing narration. And at the same time, in the wintertime, he was helping his cousin out, uh, building um, sheds down on the seafront. And um, he just got to a stage where uh, he wanted something different. So he went off on his travels with his now wife, Soph. And at a time where they were traveling through Australia, he stopped off at a service station, um, a petrol station for us, and um, looking for a refreshing drink, came across iced coffee, drank it, and instantly fell in love with it. So that's where the idea was born. Um, He continued his travels, came back to the UK, and sadly couldn't find an iced coffee on the shelves anywhere in the UK. So eventually one day he woke up, had a chat with his sister Suze, who was running a cafe at the time in Christchurch, Okay, um, and said, look, I think I need to do this. So together they joined forces, 
And the rest is history, the as they is, say. And yeah. now we all know what ice yeah, coffee is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the brands come from nowhere in yes. 10 years. Yeah, and the category. Um, yeah. I think it'd be fair to say when Jim and Sue's began their journey, um, you would probably find a Starbucks maybe on the shelf somewhere, yeah. um, but not in great distribution. Um, so really, they, they brought the brand and the category to life in the UK. Wow. Yeah. Great. And what does the business look like today? So today, Jim and Sue is still heavily involved in the business. Um, but in terms of staffing, we have 23 heads now, okay. all based out of Christchurch. And we do absolutely everything in-house except for manufacturing. So we use separate companies to manufacture our product. But within the four walls in Christchurch, we have all of our marketing function, our creative design team, all of our sales team, finance, operations, everybody. Great. Yeah. So... Right, so hopefully that's given our listeners a bit of a backstory to sort of Jimmy's Ice Coffee. But, you know, and I've known Jim and Susie through sort of mutual acquaintances for, for well, from the start of that story. And they're very entrepreneurial in character. Yes. Um, very, both very gregarious and Jim in particular, very outgoing. That's right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and you can see that spirit that they had, the remarkable spirit to get that business off the ground. And I'm really intrigued during the course of this podcast to explore with you, Jim. You've come in as MD, Managing yep. Director. Um, and that's a step that a lot of entrepreneurs, founders, business owners want to make, but never are quite brave enough to make it. Yeah. Or when they do, it doesn't quite run to plan. So I want this from your perspective, okay? <laughs> <laughs> One day I'll ask Jim and Susan. Yeah. But I'd like this, you know, from your perspective of, you know, let's go back to, you know, why did they want to appoint an MD? What had happened in the journey and story to make them realise, actually, this is the time to appoint somebody? Yeah, I think there's probably two fundamental reasons for that. I think the first point is, and most importantly, is your own world. What's going on in your own world outside of business? Um, so Jim had two very young children. Um, and as we all know, those of us that are parents, you know, that, that is a massive challenge. Um, you're treading a path that you've never walked before. You're learning every day. So Jim had that going on. Um, Suze as well had just had her first child as well, B. Um, so, you know, two, three months into her first child, she was going through the same experience. Yeah. So if you position Jim and Suze, who are both very entrepreneurial, as you describe, very passionate and commit absolutely everything they have to whatever it is they do. Yeah. So all of a sudden, for the previous eight, seven and a half years, 100 miles an hour, pushing a business forward, all of a sudden they had two huge events going on in their world and they couldn't do that anymore. No. And, and rightly so. You know, yeah. They had a family to look after. So I think that's the first bit. And then the second bit is then the state of the business. Um, and at the time, when I first came across Jimmy's, um, I just relocated down to the South Coast and I was looking for employment. So I was looking for other businesses. One of my goals was to have a job where I could cycle to work. So I didn't want to work too far okay. away because prior to that, I was living in Hartford and commuting to London every day and Ouch. I was just exhausted. <laughs> yeah. So that was my goal. Um, so as I'm searching for these businesses, I come across Jimmy's based in Christchurch. Um, I approached them and they said, look, why don't you just come in and let's have an informal conversation. Okay. See who you are. You can see who we are and we'll take it from there. So as I'm having this conversation with them and play through you know, my CV, my resume, what I've done in the past, and they take me through the Jimmy's journey. It was literally as I was leaving the office, they said, 
actually, there is one thing that you might be interested in. We we have a little challenge going on at the moment with one of our customers, and it'd be good to gauge your thoughts on it. And from that moment, so they had a business need, and um, as time played out, I helped them with said need. Um, and so I think it was just two worlds colliding it's at the right time. Circumstances, yeah. as much yeah. as anything. So it wasn't Without a, a doubt. It wasn't a desire, or there was probably a recognition they needed help. Yeah. They didn't know it was the MD type role that needed filling at that stage. No, at the time I came in to help them with a specific sales challenge. And with many things in smaller businesses especially, as you come in to face into a challenge, you realise that the solutions lie across every facet of the business. So as I was a consultant at the time, trying to solve this challenge meant doing a bit of digging in marketing, a bit of digging in creative, finance, operations. And before you knew it, looking at the businesses in entirety wasn't probably geared up the right way to suit the needs of this said challenge with a customer. Yeah. So I think as I came on board before I became full-time, which was about a four to five-month period, um, in that time period, it was clear to see that there was a gap within the business. Um, and in order to move the business forward, this role probably did exist. So it came around really, as we've said, from from timing both from a personal perspective mm. of Jim and Sue's, where they were at, as well as this business need. Yeah, that personal one is really interesting, isn't it? And it's something that we, you know, I've struggled with over the years and, and most business owners, leaders, and, and anybody that drives and is successful and is passionate yeah. about what they do is how you get that balance between oh, very difficult and kind of business. And you must have had that in the, that previous life with that long commute and a corporate kind of role. Yeah. That that was that was my need to to move. Yeah. So strangely, what they were then experiencing, I had had for the, probably the past two years prior to that. Yeah. So I was commuting into London. Loved my job, by the way. I was where I was working. All that was fantastic. However, I would be getting out of bed at quarter to five in the morning to be sat at my desk for six a.m. to beat the traffic into London. But sadly, on the way home, you can never beat the yeah. traffic. So the commute yeah. home would take anything from an hour and a half to three hours. So in totality, I was spending a lot of time on the road most days and the impact of that, getting out of bed at such an early time, I wouldn't see my children in the mornings. And then equally, as I got home, they were practically in bed, if not going to bed. So Monday to Friday, you know, like like sadly a lot of dads Mm. experience and mums, working mums, it just wasn't working for me personally. And it didn't happen overnight. It probably happened over a period of 18 months where I slowly started to realize that this wasn't for me, it wasn't working out. Um, and my partner and I, we both had the chat and said, look, <laughs> we need to do something different. <laughs> this, ain't, and it, yeah, I, this isn't ain't life, this is just an not. existence. Yeah. yeah, And it wasn't working for her either. You know, no. She didn't see me. Our relationship wasn't where we both wanted yeah. it to be. Uh, and you live for the weekends. That's when, and yeah. most of the time, you'd find you wanted to rest because you were exhausted. Yeah. So um, having grown up by the coast, up in the north, Um, And having spent five years living by the coast in Sydney, we realized that one of the fundamental things we were missing was the coastline. So the pin landed in the map in Poole. And there we have it. There you are. The rest is history. Here you are. Absolutely. And we'll come back to your story within Jimmy's in a moment. But has this role given you that balance? Yes, without a doubt. um, Not not naturally, if that makes sense. Um, I think having the catalyst of not having the right balance really kind of focus the mind on being single-minded about what it is you wanted. Yeah. 
because I left my job before I joined Jimmy's, I had a small period of time where I wasn't working and had no income. And for anybody that's experienced that, to begin with, it's completely okay. Yeah. And you think, I've got some time, you rest, you go and do the exercise you've always want, been wanted to do, and you spend a bit of time with the kids. But like most people, you get to a point where you start to get itchy feet, um, and then you start to get nervous also about income. So I reached that point quite quickly, <laughs> just because of the nature of how I am. And I started to look at jobs back in London again, and started considering, do I get on a train every day or drive the 100 miles um, and start yeah. to progress that. So whilst I had a plan A, which was get a job locally, I had to look at a plan B option, which luckily never came never to fruition. Never came to pass. Yes. Yeah. Here we are today. Yeah. So how did... You, it's interesting just to explore with you that... that it, so it's an evolution over a number of months. You're there as a consultant. You're starting to put your hand on different elements of the business or just see different elements of the business and the impact that was having on this particular customer challenge. Yeah. How did that layer of trust and relationship grow with Jim and Susie? Um, I think one of the great things about both of them is they are both very authentic. So both Jim and Suze, they are what they are. They, they say it how it is, and there's no hidden agenda whatsoever and I'd like to say that's my personality as well so I just think naturally we click together pretty quickly and I think another thing that's important um, the team that runs Jimmy's and I'd say we are a team the core team as we call it which is Jim, Suze, Luke our operations director and Steve our financial director together with myself all of us connected really quickly and and then as well as with the rest of the business so I think that that whole connection was really important, not only with Jim and Sue's, but as in any small business, it was a cultural fit overall. Yeah. Because culture in a small business is absolutely critical. Yeah. You've got to get it right, and you have to fit within that culture. And how would you explain the culture at Jimmy's then? Um, it's an old cliche. It is definitely work hard, play hard. Yeah. Um, what you see on the outside of Jimmy's as regards a fun brand we are the same inside of the business. So we have fun. Um, it's not premeditated. It just comes naturally. We yeah. have a giggle at work. We want people to enjoy their job and have a smile on their face. I completely believe that if people enjoy their role, you just get so much more out of them anyway. Definitely. So I think that comes naturally. So you're always looking for people that can contribute to that culture. So that culture is not up to myself or Jim or Suze to create and in bed, we are one of 23 people that has to do that. So, so the mix is really, really important. So I think for us, that, that the culture is what drives us forward. And then with that, the work ethic is also very high. So you know, we, we have a strategy in terms of what we're trying to achieve. We want to double our business in the next two years, so we've got very aggressive growth. And all 23 people need to deliver yeah. They've all got appraisals, they've all got objectives. It can't be a weak link if that's you can't. your aggressive kind of plan. Exactly, exactly. So everybody knows their part yeah. and everybody is held accountable to their part because if one piece doesn't fit within the puzzle, then we, we don't build the plan that we want to achieve. But has the management of that team changed from being kind of that entrepreneurial approach from Jim and yep. Susie to a more, and I don't want to say corporate, but a more kind of structured, <laughs> yeah. structured is a better word, actually, yeah. structured approach yeah. of management coming in. Yes, it's 
it's strange. I think the, the word corporate, as, as you've alluded to there, we sometimes see it as a nasty word. It, yeah. It's the end of the day, a business needs structure. You need objectives. Um, we need a plan of what we want to achieve, and that plan has to be shared. So we've just formalized that a little bit more across the business. But I do think that sense of entrepreneurial spirit is absolutely still there with, within Jimmy's. Yeah. And it's not just Jim and Sue's that has that. Majority of the people in the business have it. And ideas will come to the table and we will be living that idea by the end of the day. So right. we have so many ideas which could come across a boardroom table, over a beer, wherever it may be, and we will absolutely try can. and implant them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So actually, we got there quite quickly because right? I wanted to pick up on this point about that entrepreneurial spirit within the business. And you're yeah. saying it's still there. You know, things happen. Yeah. It's not a long process. And I think that's one of the things when a business leader, business owner, entrepreneur, founder, whatever you want to call them, brings in a senior leadership team or brings in somebody to run the business for them, they're mm. worried that that spark, that spirit that has got them to that point of needing that person, yeah. that team, um, kind of um, just gets gets lost. Yeah. And therefore, you know, the whole business starts to grind to a halt. So it's great that you've maintained it, mm. but how? Um, I guess there's no simple answer to this, um, and it's something which you have to be on top of every day. Um, one element is definitely our values as a business. So we talk about structure. Within our business, we have three values that we try and adhere to every day in everything that we do. Um, and one of them is number one crew, so it's all about supporting each other. The other one is own it, which is all about just do the bit that you're responsible for. Don't have to ask twice, you know, just yeah. get on and do it. And the third one is Yala Habibi, which is Arabic term, which means, come on, my love, let's let's just go. Let's get it done. So it's all about okay. speed of change. So when you've got three values like that, which are all about being proactive and having that sense of speed and that creativity as well. If you then take the fact that we have this aspiration to double the business in two years, if we were to carry on on our same path as we are at the moment, we would not double our business in the next two years. So it comes down to that element of change. And for me, change is about being creative. Mm -hmm. It is about being entrepreneurial. What is the next idea that's going to deliver the next million pounds worth of growth? Because at the moment, we don't have it. So there's a business need to drive it. Yeah. There's a cultural values piece and when you bring those two together, for us as a business, that, that works really well. Don't get me wrong, it could be better. And this goes down to that constant want of trying to improve yourselves. Yeah. And there are definitely individuals within any business that excel in this space more so than others. Yeah. And you've just got to tap into that. Not everybody is built this way. No. But out of a team of 23, via the recruitment, you've identified those people that are. And, you know, you let them play in that space because they love it. Yeah. They enjoy it. And it just comes naturally to them. And, and Jim and Sue's are two of those people. So that comes down to just, as you say, letting people play to their strengths. Yes. Recognize the individuals that have got it. Yeah. Give them the enthusiasm, but set that umbrella of culture and yeah. an environment where people accept that change is happening. Yeah, absolutely. And they embrace change. Yes. Okay. So how do you recruit those kind of people? <laughs> um, I would say people, without a doubt is the hardest thing in any business, in a small business. Um, having worked in larger organizations, um, don't get me wrong, there's appraisal processes and we are all still assessed. Um, but it's it's easier to be a misfit or it's easier 
to not necessarily perform in bigger businesses, I believe, anyway. In a smaller business... It's easier to hide, definitely. Yeah. Um, in a smaller business, you just can't. You, you know, you, you see everybody every day anyway. You're yeah. looking into their eyes every day. You, you're seeing their output, how often they're out of the office, what what they're doing on their computer screen, how many emails... Are, you know, you just, you just see it. It's not that you're investigating, it's but you're part of a smaller team. So getting that right fit and bringing the right people in is absolutely critical. So firstly, you've got to be absolutely clear about what you're looking for. Um, so if you are engaging with external recruiters, you've got to be super clear on what it is you want that individual to perform within your business from a task perspective. And then you also need to be completely clear from a cultural perspective and you've got to put those two things together yeah. and you've got to be patient you can't just accept the first CV that comes through the door. You know, if sometimes it is the right person and you're incredibly lucky, but I've held off on recruiting for roles for almost a year to try and wait for that right person. It's easy to just go, let's just get somebody in and get them going. But odds are they will consume more of your time if they're the wrong person than waiting for the right person. Definitely. Recruiting slow without any compromise yeah. is the way to go, isn't yeah. it? But it's very hard to do, particularly when you're demanding growth and you've got roles to fill and people are covering and you're stretching people but yep. it's it's the brave thing to do isn't it? it it is and geographically we are challenged a little bit being based where we are yeah. in christchurch um the food and beverage sector i think is incredibly strong in dorset you know there's a lot of provenance down here there's a lot of smaller brands startups as well as ones which have been going for a yeah. few years now so i think it is a great place for food and beverage products however Compared to places like London, for example, from a talent pool perspective, then there is no comparison. And again, we don't want to recruit people that have to endure a two-hour commute, say, from London to come down to see us. So it's the same in role reversal of me going to London. Because that breaks that whole lifestyle yeah. piece that's Correct. so important to Jimmy's, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We, we actively say if your commute is more than 45 minutes, then from an individual's perspective, we really question whether or not that's what they want. And my commute on a windy day is 45 minutes on my back. I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> but um, yeah, my head's down and I'm pedaling away and I kind of weirdly enjoy it. But um, yeah, if you're sat in a car for 45 minutes plus, yeah, that, that's hard. That's yeah. hard. So um, yeah, we want people to get the most out of the job and enjoy their life at the same time. So coming back to that, you know, you're newly immersed into the role. You've got some fellow directors that are supporting you. Was there any resistance at all? Or was there external, internal resistance to you taking the role? Um, there was definitely nothing external. Um, I take about that, you mean what, family pressures or...? Yeah, uh, well, no, I, I suppose what I mean about that is the biz- the suppliers, okay. the customers, everybody was per- perhaps used to seeing Jim and Susie, yep. you know, that piece, and then internally more, and, you know professionals you use you know yeah there's a different environment created isn't there and then internally clearly that's the yeah. internal team i think um over time that those things have naturally happened i certainly didn't feel any resistance externally yeah. um internally i guess the fact that i came in as a consultant and ended up running the business as an md would say that there wasn't any resistance yeah. um i think we have a an open relationship as a, as a collective as our core team that run the business and the wider business and you know we'll share any challenges and issues as they come along but i think ultimately looking looking back over time that was quite a smooth transition and it worked really well for both parties because jimmy's as a business got to see me mm. and kind of tested me out as a consultant 
And the flip side of that, I also um, got a great insight into the business. And for five months, got to see exactly what went on, met every single member of the crew, got to know them really well. And then I could make an informed decision as well as to whether this was right for me. So weirdly, again, it it worked out perfectly. It's quite, yeah. It proves could be a a methodology others could follow, isn't it? If you get that opportunity. Opportunity to engage at that level, get to know the individual, the individual get to get to know the founders, the individual to get to know the business. Yes. I'm sure you're building some external relationships with the projects you're involved in. And then there's this natural transition where trust has actually emerged, isn't it? Yeah. And I think from a Jim and Sue's perspective, they are both still heavily involved in the business. Yeah. So to many, they, they are still running the business. Mm. You know, Jim and Sue's together, they are still the face of the business. So whenever we do um, our big stories on Instagram, for example, the ones that get the most love and attention are those that contain Jim and Sue's. Yeah. So the love affair for those two is still there. They are still massively involved and in terms of driving the business forward. So from an outsider looking in, there probably is no change. Yeah. How have their roles changed? Um, Jim and Sue's, like all of us, have strengths. And the key thing for us as a business and how we will double our business in two years is to make sure they just play to their strengths. So both of them are so passionate and so energetic towards the business and driving the brand forward. We just let them play in that space. So Jim, for example, um, does a lot of external talks. Um, so one of our core consumer groups are university students. So yesterday, for example, he was up at Liverpool University doing a talk to students up there. So we just ask him to still be the face of the brand and still be doing, you know, PR elements connected with the brand to communicate his story. And what obviously Jimmy's then as an iced coffee brand rides on the back of that. Yeah. Uh, and the same with Suze. You know, Suze is um, a very engaging personality. She will go out still to customer meetings with us whether it's Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Boots, you know, she'll come with us and be the face of the brand because a lot of customers like to see the owners of brands. Yeah. It's almost like a bit of a rock star effect. But there, there's that bit of uniqueness, isn't it? Why, yeah. You know, why buy from Jimmy's? Yeah. Well, A, it's better iced coffee than anywhere, anything and anywhere else. Spot on. But why, <laughs> why buy from Jimmy's rather than buying, you know, the Starbucks equivalent and putting that on their shelves? Mm-hmm. It's because there's personality. Yes. And depth and something else behind Jimmy's, isn't it? Completely. You can get to know the brand. Into, that they yeah. then believe their customers are going to buy into. Yeah. And that's, I suppose, where Susie turning up plays her role, isn't it? Uh, it's... It's incredible, you know, the, the authenticity of our brand. When I, when I look at, you know, don't get me wrong, there are other smaller brands within the ice coffee market, British brands, which are strong brands, you know, and I have a lot of respect for them. Um, the top tier of ice coffee brands in the UK are global giants. Mm. Um, and with any business, when it becomes that successful, it loses a little bit of its personality and the connection to the average, you know, guy and girl walking down the high street. And I think that's something that we have yeah. uh, in spades. You know, we are very strong on that. We have an authentic story. We're still family owned. We're a British business. And that connects with a lot of our consumers. You know, they, they like that about it. They yeah. feel as though they can talk to us. And often, even on the social platforms, when they are talking to us, they are actually talking to Jim or Sue's. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people don't think realize that half the time. It's like, well, actually, no, that is them responding to your this question. Is yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is, is great. And bigger businesses can't do that. No. So, how have you had to change your style? I'm interested to now see that transition from you coming in yep. from a larger business environment to a kind of, uh, you know, entrepreneurial business, smaller. 
How have you had to change your style and adapt yourself? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was conscious not to break the culture of what Jimmy's had already established. Um, there were definitely elements of the culture that needed change. Um, but there at the heart of it, this whole fun, um, informality piece and not being corporate, let's call it that for a second, uh, is not what Jimmy's is about. And I guess having come from bigger companies, luckily I'd had a couple of uh, smaller businesses prior to joining Jimmy's, one of which um, a small water charity brand. So I'd luckily got under the skin a little bit of how to work for a smaller business. Um, So I think a lot of it for me was finding that sweet spot of not being too structured. Sometimes you would put proposals forward, which wouldn't be right. You've got to accept that and go with the flow. And then other times, you know, you'd say, no, you'd have to stick to your guns and say, we really do need this. We need to push it forward because this is what's going to get us from A to B. Um, and again, I think it comes down to the, the strength of our core team that run the business yeah. that we, we will, we are honest with each other to say yes or to say no to ideas. My voice isn't the one that always, that always lands. Sometimes it'd be an idea from Jim, sometimes Sue, Steve or Luke. And as a collective, that's how we run it. And I think that's, the secret to how we'd still do so well. Great. Yeah. Perfect. Have you engaged with other MBs that have been sort of injected into other kind of owner-managed businesses and and seen their stories and learned from them? Is there, or have you sort of been too busy and sort of been in isolation? It's probably not proactively, if I'm honest with you. I think we were just having a conversation before we sat down today. Um, we have a little initiative that we're running at the moment that is just just get out, just get out of the office, go and meet a customer, go and do some sampling, come here today and do a podcast, for example. Um, because when you speak to other people, be it consumers or business-related people, you just learn so much more. And I would say that is definitely something I would like to do more of Yeah. in terms of talking to other business owners that have maybe walked this path before me. Um, but I think, you know, via, via yourself and, and what you're trying to achieve at the moment and other local businesses, I think there's a really good, strong network down in Dorset of businesses who are prepared to talk to each other. We went on a trade expedition over to Bahrain a, a year ago, actually, um, with the Department of International Trade. And all the other brands that they took over there were small SME, Southwest-based businesses. And we've all stayed in touch. Uh, we had a catch-up probably three or four weeks ago um, down at one of the factories down near Exeter, and we've stayed in contact. And, you know, we have a WhatsApp group, and we talk to each other. We share challenges, you know, frustrations with a certain retailer. Have you come across this before? What do you think? So I think inadvertently, I am naturally talking to other people in other businesses. And I think one of the amazing things about working in a small business is that you are more prepared and proactive at talking to others Whereas in the larger corporate giants, you don't talk outside of your own four walls. No. Not at the levels I was at anyway. I think you are very more protected and more guarded. Whereas I think the sense of learning and wanting to share stories and hear other people's stories is just incredible within a smaller business environment. And I'd encourage it. Yeah, I think it's a must, isn't it? I think yeah. that way, yeah. you know, when you, if you're in a small business environment, it's a, it can be lonely, whatever your role. Yes, and therefore, I love this kind of ethos. So just get out. Yeah, you've you know? got to. You just got to get just get out. out because I think people, and particularly you know maybe across the south coast, is in this kind of environment want to be collaborative. Mm. 
you know they've perhaps had that larger business experience before they've started yeah or uh, and they just want to engage and be collaborative and i think there's so many benefits to be yes. gained as a result isn't it you, you never it's, it's very rare that i have walked away from meeting other people be it you know call it a classic networking event where you've not met at least one individual that you then retain that connection with and share stories or learn something from the initial forum that you were at. You know, you can, you, you'll often look at your diary and think, I can't spend those two hours going to that meeting. I just can't. But I guarantee every time you do, you always come back going, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Great things happen when you put like-minded Absolutely. people together. Yeah. You know, yeah. Don't need to do much more than that. <laughs> really. It can be that simple. Yeah. Um, so would you say your role is work in progress? I mean, always, always. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, when you are trying to create an environment of change, I have to change with that. Um, and something that works one week can uh, potentially have expired the next week. So we've already ach- achieved that objective, right? What's next? So the, the point we just mentioned a moment ago about being out is all about get out to change your own output. So what you put in, change what you get out because we need to change. We have to double. So in its simplest form, everything we do now we need to be twice as good so we have um, an event coming up for example uh, start of april london coffee festival which is our first time of ever attending um and we are launching two new brands at the coffee festival so amazing how do we absolutely own that festival because everybody is going to be talking about coffee now most of it hot but there will be lots of businesses there selling chilled coffee so again from our perspective you know we need to change how we sample because if we carry on doing what we're doing now, it won't work. We need to change the way we um, attend an event. We already do it really well, but I want us to be better. So I think when you've got that mentality, you know, I naturally, as, as the leader of the business, I have to change with that. And I have to react to how others are reacting to our general direction. You know, Because I might say some things and give a direction, and a lot of people might be a little bit disgruntled about that. So I've got to kind of re-engage them and make sure that they are buying into it, and this is what we are doing. So I think the re-evaluation of how I'm performing is a constant. You can't not do that. I think the moment you do, the moment you become a little bit too comfortable. And I think once you hit that stage, it might not happen overnight, but over a period of time, you will plateau. You are in that danger zone yeah, at that point. It's doubt. only a moment of time. Yeah. You're either going to trip yourself up or yes. become... Yeah, yeah, superfluous to need. Yeah, totally, totally, and I think, and the business can outgrow you very quickly at that point. Yeah, it? it can, and um, I think one, you know, it's one of the great things that I love about Jim is it is this. We're on this journey, and it is, it's just full of excitement, and there's so much change that we want to happen. It, you know, what, what the business will be like a year from now, two years from now, three years from now is so exciting, and wanting to be part of that is just engaging. So can you give us an insight into that? Is that breadth, is that breadth <laughs> of product? Is that new products? Is that diversification? You know, it- a bit of everything, really. We, um, as part of our strategic plan, we have five main objectives that sit within that, and one of them is brand evolution. So it is all about what can the Jimmy's brand do? Where can it go to? So at the moment, we have a nice coffee brand. Great. But outside of that, we also sell merchandise. So we do caps, T-shirts, hoodies, etc. So can we push that a bit harder? Um, because we believe that we can be a bit more of a lifestyle brand than what we currently are. Um, it would be amazing to not only be a drink, but people kind of live their life the way that Jimmy's live their life. So we love our environment around us. We encourage people to get out. 
Um, our whole strap line about keep your chin up is all about you know positive thinking. Um, it's all about going out and doing some exercise. So I know you love cycling. Yeah. You know we all know that when you do that little bit of exercise, your headspace at the start versus the end is so different. It's transformational. It is. It is. So you know we want to do more in that space. Um, this year we've set ourselves the goal of being plastic free by the end of the year. So again, you know in terms of speed of business, plastic at the moment is a huge subject matter mm-hmm. in the news. And you listen to the supermarkets that are looking to eradicate plastic. Understandably, their goals are 2023, 2025. And I understand how it takes time. I do believe they can accelerate that a little bit more uh, if you really push. Uh, And this is a classic example of being a smaller, more nimble business. We set that goal last year. uh, So within 12 months, we're hopefully going to achieve the goal of being plastic free. Brilliant. And that's not that simple when you consider we don't manufacture. Yeah, you don't manufacture. So you're not entirely... We're not in control. In control of that process. And there's a lot of plastic in the food industry. Yeah, it is. And, and plastic plays a part. So there must be a challenge there, though, isn't there? Particularly working with the supermarkets. Yeah. Around usually going plastic free, being generally more environmentally friendly, adds cost. And it, and most consumers yep. will accept that cost because of their own beliefs. Okay. Yep. But s- stuck in the middle... Is you know is the supermarkets is the wholesalers is yep. the distributors, and you know for them it's about volume and margin. Yeah. How are they accepting this change? Um, luckily, because of the challenge of plastic, you know, stemming all the way down from governments at the top, from and from consumer groups at the bottom, so to speak, the pressure that is being exerted on manufacturers, retailers, is so huge they can't ignore it. So we're in an environment at the moment in the UK where you've got to be talking about your environmental credentials, which is a great thing. We just need to make sure we make the right decisions within that. Mm. Um, So I think from that perspective, that is really helping. But from a Jimmy's perspective, our approach to this is we are prepared to invest our own money in this to be plastic-free. So the margin implications for us in selling our new portfolio products will be way greater. So we will be making less money by producing and delivering our new range of products this year. So, you know, we, we are putting our money behind being environmentally friendly. Because really living the value. Well, we have to. We, don't, don't get me wrong. I think that, you know, there's going to be um, the consumer, arguably in some retailers, because we don't control the price points. That's up to a retailer. Uh, those prices may change. That's, you know, a sad reality. Um, but however, you know, the big thing from us is, look, we want to do this and it's going to cost us money. But together we have sat down and said, no, it's the right thing to do. Brilliant. And that's what we want to do. Wow. There's something that summed up the Jimmy kind of, Jimmy's yeah, kind of way. That is it. Well, we, when, when you live down here in a little mini paradise, yeah. and it is, you know, the whole coastline down here is amazing. Beautiful. And we do beach cleans. I walk with my children down the beach and do beach cleans with them. And every now and then, sadly, I will pick up a carton, um, a Tetra Pak carton with a plastic lid on it. And it, you know, as much as it, it just makes your heart sink a little bit. Um, so the fact that we are contributing slightly towards that, just by us changing our pack format on an annual basis will save 9 million pieces of plastic. Which, Amazing. for a small business, gives you some idea of the scale of how big this challenge is. So we talked about expansion of existing product we've talked about branded clothing where else do you take jimmy's next um 
Well, the back end of last year, we also started to sell coffee beans. Okay. So again, at the heart of our business is coffee. You know, we are a coffee brand at the end of the day. Two years ago, we changed all of our coffee sourcing. So we now only source Rainforest Alliance certified coffee from one region, which is Huila in Colombia. So it's all single origin coffee. Um, so in taking that, we thought, okay, well, if you know our product, we're really proud of that coffee that sits within it. What about if we sold coffee beans as well? So we sourced um, three different coffee beans and we've been selling that. Okay. Um, so it's still early days. Yeah. Um, we'll evaluate as time goes on as to whether or not we think it's right for us or not. But then outside of that, uh, from a product perspective, we have got a new brand coming to market in March, uh, which will be a coffee cola. So again, a, a complete departure, well, not complete, but big departure away from iced coffee. So this okay. will be a glass bottle, uh, mainly for the entree, pubs, bars yeah. area. Um, no milk involved in it at all or oats. Um, and it will purely be you know, a cola drink with a shot of coffee put in there, targeting the non-alcoholic market, the drivers um, that go into pubs, you know, just giving them that choice. Wow. So yeah, we really taste it. <laughs> yeah, we've got one flavor. Obviously, the coffee cola flavor is ready, which will be in March. And if this works, we've got two other flavors already done, waiting in the wings. If it's successful, we'll bring those to market as well. Brilliant! I can't yeah. wait to taste it. Yeah, no, it tastes... uh, having gone dairy free, I'm missing my <laughs> shot, Jimmy. So, um... well, you've got the oat latte. Yeah, but where can I source it? <laughs> Big hint there from Warren. For it. Tesco's. <clears throat> really? Yeah, Tesco sell it. Yeah, okay. it's not in as great a distribution it's as not. other. Pro- I think dairy free at the moment um, is in massive growth, um, and veganism, vegetarian, you know, is is a huge um, upsurge. And um, but when you compare to the size of dairy non-dairy is tiny yeah so when you look at a supermarket shelves and you look at the amount of space given to milk versus milk alternatives it's it's still all about milk that's where the money is it's growing don't get me wrong dairy free and it will continue to grow for the next few years i think the whole plant-based products across all categories is just going to keep on going for the foreseeable future so at the moment, the challenge is sometimes when you go into certain stores, you struggle to find yeah. those dairy-free alternatives because for some stores, it's still not paving its way to own that shelf space. Yeah. They'll make more money from selling something else. Yeah, and that's a commercial call that supermarkets exactly. have to make and you yep. have to live with because you're, yep. you know, you're honoured in a way to have your brand yeah. and your, your shelf space that you have, isn't yeah, it? So, absolutely. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I have been hunting every supermarket. Again That's my too. favourite as well. So yeah, I, I feel your pain. I I've kind of got pain. hooked on Jimmy's Mocker, and then I thought, well, I'm going to go dairy free in November, and I've uh, haven't had my fix since. So well, you'll have a dairy free flat white to look forward to come oh, March. Wow! So I next month that will be available. I can't wait. I can't wait. So that piece around David and Goliath, can we just explore yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've you've talked. I don't think it's. I think you've articulated really well, you know, the supermarket is your customer. Yes. That is this whole David Flyer thing. But I think you've articulated well. It's about how do you find your space in that? It's using the brand. It's using the story. Yeah. It's using Susie. It's using Jim. Yeah. And you create that kind of awareness. Yeah. And by creating a brand awareness, I assume that means that supermarkets come and buy. Yes. Yeah. You've answered the question, right? <laughs> well, I haven't answered the question. I think you've explored that earlier. <laughs> What about competition then? You know, you've got, as we, you know, you, you have alluded to, I think once or twice, you know, yeah. the big multinational brands 
are your main competition. Yes, they are. Particularly in the supermarket space. Yeah, yeah. It's how do you truly compete against them? It's a difficult one. Um, I think that we out the timing of bringing an iced coffee brand to the market. We we were ahead of the curve when Jim and Sue's started this journey, and when they were trying to sell the brand in. 10 years ago, that was a difficult sell because iced coffee didn't really exist as a category. Very different now. The mm-hmm. amount of new iced coffee brands coming out on a weekly basis is phenomenal. So if you go back in time, they had to be very maverick and approach it very differently to try and get our shelf space. But the fact that we got the shelf space 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 7 years ago with these key retailers means that we've been able to secure and own that space. Now, as time has passed, more people are coming into the marketplace. So Starbucks is the number one in this country, um, mainly being driven by distribution because it has more distribution because it is a globally recognized brand. Um, so we have to compete against that. So we can't play on the same platforms that they play. They are backed by Arla, who's a milk producer. So it's actually Arla that make the Starbucks products for the UK. It's made in Denmark. So again, it's not British milk. Yeah. So again, so we, we we have to think about the strengths of our brand and we talk about that. Um, where we went to two years ago is to really start to drive the quality of the product that sits within our carton. So we started with coffee, as I spoke about a moment ago. We then looked at the milk. We then reduced a third of our sugar content in our product and we stripped out ingredients as well that we didn't think were necessary. So our product is very clean and very simple comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. to the competition. The next thing we then looked at is the outer vessel, and hence this whole plastic three-piece. So where we've got to now is not only do we believe our product is stronger, you know, our original, for example, five simple ingredients, the vessel, I think, gives us a, another USP as regards versus our competitors because they're all plastic. They're all in plastic cones, plastic lids, yeah. plastic sleeve, plastic straw, and then a foil lid. Yeah. And that's on a 220 mil vessel. So... You know, you put all these things together and all of a sudden you end up with this list of actually we can give you this Mr. Retailer, whereas these other guys cannot. Now, where we can never compete is money. We, yeah. we, we just don't have the reserves that they have. But what I will say about a lot of the retailers in the UK at the moment, they are looking for different things, which is great for us and great for other local Dorset businesses. They appreciate the strength of bigger brands and know that they have to stop them. But most retailers are also looking for new things. And I think the um, the way in which the food and beverage markets changing in the UK is really exciting. And I think everybody is now starting to open their eyes, whether you're a Tesco, whether you're a pub group, a convenience chain. And people are looking for new brands to fill their shelves yeah. as opposed to the standard you know, three or four out of every category. And I suppose that by, you know, all of the supermarkets are now engaging. It used to be just a few, but yeah. wherever you are based in the country, it's that buy local piece. Oh, absolutely. And they're putting local brands yes. on the shelves, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, a lot of them have actual corporate policies, which, you know, so Co-op, for example, who sadly we're not with, we're trying to get with at the moment. So Southern Co-op is absolutely a customer we want to go after and have been trying to secure their business. They They will have, I think it's 10% that they give store owners discretion to bring in local produced brands mm. because they know as you come down to the southwest a lot of the people coming down here are tourists and want to buy local produce and equally 
people who live locally having on their radar now about provenance yeah. and air miles and CO2 emissions yeah. of my product. And actually, do I want to buy this banana that I've bought from South America or, you know, can I, is there a way in which I can get one a bit nearer? I, I, you know, it's just an important thing at the moment for consumers. Definitely, and rightly so. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, what goes on back of house to get a product onto a fixture <laughs> is incredibly complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of start to round up one of the things i have seen recently is the rebranding yes so love it thank you it's kind of different but feeling kind of linked to the past but at yeah. what point i mean it's quite a brave thing when you've just spent 10 years building a brand and getting recognition yeah to go through a rebranding exercise so for the listeners i'd kind of like to explore what was the thought process in doing that and then what was the actual process in yeah yeah i think it? It goes back to that word change. So back to our strategic intent um, as regards our plan and the numbers that flow out of that, we are constantly looking at our existing business. So you look to the new, but you've also got to look after your main estate because that's what pays the bills. And as part of that, we'd evaluated the ingredients in our brand. We'd looked at the vessel that supports our brand. And at the same time, naturally, we said, let's look at the brand itself, what it stands for. Because if we want to push our brand over the next few years with this whole brand evolution objective, we need to make sure that it's future-proofed. We need to make sure that three years from now, it still holds the test of time. And the general consensus was that it probably wasn't going to deliver what we wanted. And this is the bit where Jim and Sue's really played their part. So the fact that they um, created this brand and effectively gave birth to this brand, you know, their heart and soul is in it. So for those two, it's really, really critical. And then in addition to that, as I mentioned earlier, our creative department is also in-house. And, and Nick and James that run the creative department together, they are fundamental. So everything you see with our brand comes from those four people, really. Um, and all of them were kind of scratching their head a little bit to go, mm, not so sure. And I think if you've got an itch like that, you've got to really investigate yeah, it. You can't ignore it. it. Definitely. Yeah. So we started to scratch. Um, And the process, it's not really a complicated one. It is one of literally continuous improvement. Keep scratching, keep scratching, keep scratching, keep reevaluating, looking at different evolutions of the brand. What does this look like? Do we like these colors? Do we like the way this is written? And over a period of time, and we set ourselves a deadline of when this must be ready for because all of our new products that we're bringing to market had to be under the umbrella of the new brand. So we had a deadline. Um, and together we got to a place where, yeah, that's the one. And I think sometimes you just have to see it and it just jumps out. Um, but don't get me wrong, many, many iterations and a lot of hard work has gone on behind the scenes in terms of the shape and feel and look of the brand and what it stands for. And, you know, I think something that as a total business, we're incredibly proud of. Again, it's one of those where we had an itch. And in a relatively short period of time, we've changed everything. So I think it was January the 13th, we launched the rebrand on existing packaging. For March, we will introduce two new products and remove two of our old cartons, hence removing this plastic. And then in July, the ambition is to then remove the two remaining cartons and have all of our brand within aluminium camp. So again, in addition to the rebrand. So, you know, a massive piece of work has gone on. And everything, if you think about, 
Jimmy's written on a carton at the moment. You know, we have Jimmy's written on a lot of things. Yes. And it's amazing <laughs> when you start to think about, oh, we need to change that as well. Oh, and, oh, we need to change this and we need to register that as a trademark. And the list is huge. Yeah. But again, we've been brave with it. And I think for Jim and Sue's especially, it was a brave decision mm -hmm. to change, you know, that their child was about to go into adolescence and become a teenager and it's like well we need to get ready for being a teenager yeah. it's not a young kid anymore we, we need to move it forward take it a step forward yeah absolutely yeah so two questions to round up from a yep. personal perspective for you what hard thing are you not doing enough of um i think as a leader of a business it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day. um and there's an element of that that is absolutely necessary. You have to still have your finger on the pulse of what is going on across every department when you're a small business. But my challenge as an individual is to take more time away from the office, expanding my mind and looking at the bigger picture, both within iced coffee and broad across the retail segment. So I was having a phone conversation this morning with um, a very big retailer in China that's new news to me. You know, yeah. that's extending my mind. I don't know China, how it works. And wow, in the space of an hour, I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so more of that. More of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it's so easy in life, isn't it? Just to stick to the stuff in the comfort yes, zone. It is. It? But with that mentality of get out yeah. and expand, you yep. can see the benefits that will bring. And then finally, how do you define success? There's always a numerical answer to that. Uh, in business um, so from a business perspective I've said it many times double the business we, we've got to achieve that you know numbers are there to be hit both from a top line and a bottom line perspective so that's that's the numeric thing people are super critical so making sure that we have the right crew and that people are happy coming into work is so so important and that is a really important measure to us as a business and I think the third thing for me is just well, that surrounds it all is your own work-life balance. You know, I as an individual have to be happy within that and as does my family. Yeah. So I need to make sure I see my partner, Hayley. You know, she runs a, a business locally. I will need to support her. Um, I need to make sure my two kids are fit and healthy. Um, and then that in turn puts me, <laughs> fit and healthy person, you know, at the bottom of the pile. You made this move <laughs> yeah. I come last. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, you just got to get that right balance. And I think, yeah, you know, you're running a business and um, if, if you're happy when you're coming into work, yeah. you're going to have a good day. It is about balance. Yeah, it? absolutely. You can't score everything 10 out of 10, haven't you? It's about getting the balance. Yeah, you can't keep pushing and pushing and pushing with work. You've got you've to gotta hit pause and take a break and have a step back. Yeah. And even if that's just an external conversation with somebody different, I guarantee it's always pays dividends. Fantastic, Rick. I'm so glad that you've been a guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. <laughs> if people want to find out more about you, more about Jimmy's, where can they go to? Um, well, website, uh, jimmysitecoffee.com, obviously. Okay. Um, but pick up the phone, give us a call. We're based down in Christchurch. The doors are always open. So if you want to come and see us, by all means, come down. Let's have a chat. Brilliant. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. A lot of business owners, founders and entrepreneurs really do struggle to delegate management and responsibility. And it has certainly been one of my hardest challenges in my own journey with Inspire, putting in place that senior leadership team. And it certainly also took me more than one attempt to get it right. Consequently, if you are like me or you fit in that category, I hope 
you've taken away some really positive insights in how this can work and be successfully achieved and implemented. It was also really good to hear Rick's other thoughts on such things as recruitment, getting out of the business, consistency in management, having fun and product development. Again, lessons for us all. If you want to access the further insightful content, events and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to get access and be part of the Evolve community. You can also learn more there about the Evolve peer groups and our coaching and development sessions, workbooks and courses run by Evolve. If you are a business owner and want to work with a forward-thinking, award-winning, independent firm of business and tax advisors, then I and the team at Inspire would also love to hear from you. Please do go to inspire.uk.net to learn more about Inspire. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode. If so, please do rate, review and subscribe to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you.